0: Our first scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Before we listen, let us pray. Open my ears that I may hear, voices of truth thou sendest clear. And while the wave notes fall on my ear, everything false will disappear. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my God, my will to see. Open my ears, illumine me, Spirit divine. Amen. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him Then the disciples returned to their homes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And as the late great storyteller, journalist Paul Harvey said, and now the rest of the story. We are continuing on uh, what Jimmy started in John 21 through 10, continuing on John 20, 11 through 18. Listen again with fresh ears the word of the Lord. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is our day. This is the day of days. This is the foundation of everything that we believe and say we believe and seek to be and understand about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It's a biggie. If Jonah was in the belly of a squid for four days, it's not going to affect me so much. If Jesus' feet got wet when he walked on water, you know what? I'm okay with that. But the resurrection is the truth on which we base everything else. Sometimes it is difficult for us to fully believe, as I said in the assurance of pardon. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that we are forgiven. It's hard to believe that God loved you and me and the whole world so much that God sent Christ to us. I think we lose touch with the awesomeness of that love. Well, how do we get to the place where we want to be today, to rise with Christ? Well, real quick, let's take a few steps back. When we left, left Jesus, he had had an awful week. Started well last Sunday. We were here together with a triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. He comes in, shouts of acclamation, yippee, Jesus. And then the rest of the week, he begins a pivot. He doesn't do miracles anymore for the sake of revealing himself to those around him. He teaches about commitment and discipleship. Shows over, time to step up begins. They turn on him by mid to end week. And then the events of Thursday, the Last Supper, moving into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is betrayed, arrested. And then the horror of Good Friday, where Jesus is repeatedly tortured, beaten, falsely accused for a variety of things. And then crucified on the cross. And that's where we left Friday, with no hope. There is no light of Christ in the world. We end the Good Friday service blowing out the Christ candle because he is gone. That time that he spent with his disciples and family and friends, all of it wiped out. The Messiah cannot be killed. The Messiah can't suffer. The Messiah can't be crucified. And yet he was, therefore he was not the Messiah. Disciples in a state of grief, shock, and horror. Not only for what they had seen or the way that they had betrayed Christ, but because everything that he taught them was a lie. And this is the context that Mary comes in. Still overwhelmed with grief, the tragic event. She was there at the cross, John tells us. Mary Magdalene with Jesus' mother Mary and a few others were there at the cross. She was there. Witness to it all. So how do we get to the point where we can be, let's say, surprised just as Mary was? I think it's one of my favorite pieces of this. She had no idea that Jesus was Right there, standing side by side. She went there first. She saw the angels. She ran back to tell the disciples, the beloved disciple and Peter. Then, in this almost comic foot race to get there, the beloved disciple gets there first, outruns Peter. Must be training out at Fort Benning. He's in good shape, been through some Ranger stuff. He's ready, got there first but waited in respectful fashion. Peter went in first. And then we don't know what Peter believes. Comes back out. But the beloved disciple, it says, he saw and he believed. Saw and he believed. The first comprehension from the beloved disciple that Jesus hasn't been stolen Bandits haven't made away with his body, but that he has been raised. Mary doesn't get it yet. So then they go back home, the two disciples. Mary's still there. And that's when she sees the angel. She looks in again, one at the head, one at the foot. Why are you weeping? Well, I, I, I don't know where Jesus is. Tell me where they have taken him. And then, boom, Jesus right there, right there. And the way John tells the story, such great narrative fashion, we know that Jesus is Jesus before Mary knows. So we know that she's getting ready to have this amazing recognition moment. It is that moment of being lit up, that moment of Christmas morning when our kids, when they were little, ran out in that face that they have. On their birthdays, our desire to give them that face of recognition, excitement, surprise, Joy. This is what we see coming with Mary. It's like a movie where we know what's going to happen and we're waiting to see how we get there. We we all know the the cliche about watching horror movies and you're screaming at the screen. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. I told you not to go in there. But here it's the great thing, a good thing, because we know Mary is about to have her world rocked by the Savior she thought was dead, buried, and out. So Jesus is right there, right there. And she thinks he's the gardener. Okay, I don't don't know what that would have looked like. Maybe I had a hat on or a leaf blower, I'm not sure. So he says, she says, you know what? Just just tell me what you've done with him. I I won't tell anybody, you know, all is forgiven. I just need to know where his body is because I need to take care of it. And right then he calls her by name, Mary. Boom, there it is. (gasps) Teacher, it's you. You were right. Everything you said was true. You're alive. I saw you bleed and die, and now you're alive. That moment. (gasps) (gasps) That's the recognition We are looking for. That face is the one I pray for us to seek, to find, to remember, and to share with the world. How do we then get to that place of that recognition face, that excitement, joy face? Well, first, how about we believe it? Uh Uh-oh. allow yourself to believe that this is real and this happened. It is so hard in our intellectual head not to want to appear foolish or unwise that we are following some fairy tale that humanity conjured all this up just because we're going to die. And we don't know what that's like and we need some grounding. So we make, we've invented all of this. When I was in seminary, Austin Seminary, Austin, Texas, it's a three-year graduate program. First day of class, in introduction to theology. There we are, bright, shiny, spanking new, first class, first-year students, all sitting there, number two pencils all sharpened, got my pens, everything ready to go, ready to take notes. Here we are, we're all nudging each other. Hey, we're in graduate school, seminary, yeah, all right. And then up steps, who I will call Professor Plum. He was not in the conservatory with the lead pipe, but, and that is not his name, but let's call him, just for sake of it, Professor Plum. Professor Plum was a professor right across the street at the University of Texas. And so our president at the time, who was also one of our professors, Said, I'd like to introduce you to Professor Plum. He's going to talk to you a little bit this morning. Fine, great, ready, first line, legal pad, ready to go. Steps up and says, You Christians are a bunch of fools. You believe and live in this fairy tale world where you believe in this God of wrath who just seeks to live to punish his people into submission. And he said, your relationship with your God is very similar to a concentration camp commandant and the inmates, the POWs. You can hear the jaws hitting the desktops. And he goes on and on. And so there we are looking at each other, and I'm not writing that down, uh, Exactly, how does, wh- uh, uh, hmm, what? And so our, again, President Robert Shelton, at the time, in the back, kind of raises his hand a little exasperated, and says, "Have you heard about Jesus Christ? Do you know the good news of why Christ was sent?" And Professor Plum just kind of stood. You could see him trying to think it out. And then he went on with some more of his lecture that was more in the vein of what we might have expected. But so much of us think that, and so much of the world looks at our God, our Savior, our Holy Spirit, being a Christian is fearing a wrathful God. Go back to Professor Plum's example. Concentration camp, Commandant and those who are in prison, you do what the commandant tells you, or what? Are you going to get shot, or you're going to get deprived of food, or somebody you you will be severely punished in some way. That is not who our God is. If that were the case, Christ would never have been sent. Christ is that expression of love that says, I'm giving you a way to come home. I'm giving you a way to be forgiven for your rebellious nature. We live our lives not out of fear of a vengeful God, but out of gratitude for a God of love and grace and light. Amen? Amen. You can believe. I give you permission. We are to use our heads and our hearts. Don't blindly follow me. Don't blindly follow anybody or anything. That also is not God's plan. God gave you a mind. We are supposed to use it. There are objective, intellectual, subjective things that we put towards our understanding. Whether it be archaeology, artifacts, what we know about language, the copies of the early manuscripts... There is so much that we know that we can point to and say, you know what? There's a lot of proof. There's a lot of supporting evidence. There's no smoking gun. That's God's plan. Then it's not faith, it's knowledge. God wants us to come to God by our own faith, by our own decision. So we are meant to wrestle. We are meant to think it out, to feel it out, to experience, to study, pray, worship, serve. And then make our decision of our own free will. Not because we're afraid of getting spanked down by that commander. But out of love and thanks for what God did through Christ. One of the greatest reasonings that I have for why this really happened, it would have had to have been the greatest conspiracy in the history of the world spanning thousands of years. Well, preacher, didn't they just sit down and bang this Bible out? No. (laughs) It happened over thousands of years. Old Testament people didn't meet New Testament people. The authors of the books, so many of them, not one, but over 40, told of their encounter with God and God's relationship with humankind. There's no way they would have sat down and said, let's all make this up. Let's all make this stream together in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible for our Jewish friends. It was over too wide a span of time. And you couldn't go to the Jerusalem Books A Million and get a copy of the Hebrew Bible and then say, we're going to pretend and make up a new religion and just make all these connections. It's just not possible. Well, okay, preacher, well, they knew in the New Testament about the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. So maybe they just decided to sit down and create this religion. Yeah. Here's, here's what that gets them. Those early disciples, they sat down, these conspiracy folks, let's create a religion. Pretend like you, wrote, you write this down and say you something that you didn't and we'll say he rose from the dead when he didn't. This would get them no money. This would get them no power, this would put them for 300 years in the square crosshairs of the Roman Empire and the Jewish leadership, both the monarchy and the temple leadership. They killed Jesus or thought they had, but they wanted to stomp the rest of this out. By those first disciples standing up, they put their lives at risk. They knew they would die horrible deaths, which they did. Who's in? Woo! Let's make this up for no reason. There was no formed church. There was no ascendancy. Again, there was nothing to be gained by making this up. I am convinced that the reason this book exists, that you and I are here today, is because they saw him they saw something that made them overcome those things that challenged them, put their very lives at risk, their family's lives at risk, and say, I have got to go out and tell people, this is too amazing a story. And then it lasted for 300 years being persecuted? So that means that several generations down who didn't even see Jesus were so moved by those who were and told them that they put their lives at risk and their families' lives at risk? Conspiracy. I think not. We don't know it all, but we know enough to engage our intellect and our hearts. I think often we use intellect as a wall that we think society gives us Permission, it's an acceptable way out. Well, it's just a bunch of fairy tales. I don't believe all that. But I think it's a cop-out. We are meant to use our brains and our hearts, our experience, our lives, and again, come to Christ of our own free will. That is God's design. That is clear. We are never going to know it all, but we know enough. So believe. Give yourselves permission to believe. Continue to ask questions and study and grow. We have a great confirmation class. They are getting ready to wind things up in a few weeks. That is their structured, organized time to ask questions and to study. And that confirmation never ends. For them it will. They just just had a little palpitation right there. The rest of our lives really is a confirmation journey of asking questions, of seeking answers and questions, because nobody knows it all. Billy Graham loved him, late great. He didn't know it all, he said so. None of us know it all. So let's move intellectual defense off to the side for a moment. What's the second? The second, I believe, because we accept all kinds of information that we were not there for. But we don't do it with our Christian faith. Because for this reason, I believe. If Christopher Columbus discovered Key West in 1901, 1901, 1902, it doesn't really change our day to day, right? Right? Oh, that's interesting. If Genghis Khan never did what he was supposed to do, if he never existed, what does that change for you? Well, oh, that's okay. That's kind of interesting. That's not what I learned growing up. If Charlemagne never was Charlemagne, we look in history and we accept it. Why? Because people told us, because people from eyewitness accounts Spread that out. You know, again, fine. We have eyewitness accounts too. But the difference is that kind of information doesn't really matter to our day-to-day. What does it matter if history changes? We're still who we are. We still live our lives. Everything changes if we have the courage to put down that intellectual defense and say, I believe, or Lord, I am seeking to believe Because right away, our life is expected. Right away, we are meant to do things, to believe, to serve, to study, to go and serve and love others in Christ's name. And it's much easier just to say, oh, I'm not sure where I am on that whole Jesus thing, so I'm not gonna do anything. Then to say, boy, there's a lot of support and evidence, both subjective and objective in my life and heart and what I see and can prove. Boy, there's a lot going on here. We can't just dismiss this. But once we say that, we are responsible for responding. And so much easier to cut ourselves off at, oh, I don't know. We're good Presbyterians. We keep it in our head. We keep it in our intellect. We keep seeing faith as an intellectual exercise when it is time to step. Jesus on Holy Week was telling them, you've understood enough. Now it's time for you to commit and to decide. It's harder because there there are expectations of us right now. So to allow ourselves to rise with Christ means that we have to allow ourselves to believe first. To seek that recognition moment that Mary had, we want that too. Many of you have had it, many of you are seeking. Wherever you are in your faith journey, you are welcome here. Don't give up. Hang on. Christ is right there. I guarantee it. Trying to call your name as he did to Mary. And often we don't see Christ right there just like Mary did. She walked with him, lived with him, saw him die, and she still didn't know it was him. Christ is all around us. I believe it. I know it around you. Christ is calling you by name. Me? Me? Christ know what I did this weekend? Mm. Christ know how I grew up? oh I haven't always been so faithful. We are a broken people. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. And it takes all of those pieces to come together and be God's body, God's children in the world. Got a song I'd like to share with you that talks about this brokenness. None of us is perfect. None of us has it all memorized and figured out. Let's see what Chris has to say. Sing along if you know it. seen my share of broken halos folded wings that used to fly they've all gone wherever they go broken halos that used to shine just to help us on our way come to teach us then they leave us and they find some other soul to save seen my share of broken halos folded wings and used to shine Don't go looking for the reasons Don't go asking Jesus why we're not meant to know the answers, they belong to the by and by, they belong to the by and by, come on, seen my share. Shine, broken halos that used to shine. Broken halos that used to shine. The point is that we are all broken people. Christ broke himself for us, broken people each of us has a piece of that halo chris stapleton has it right whether we know it or not all of us have a piece of that maybe it's not shiny maybe it's kind of dented and broken and warped you know what i don't trust anybody who doesn't have a broken halo they're selling you something in folded wings that used to fly not bad, Chris Stapleton. You've all been given what you need to rise with Christ, to soar. You may not know that you have wings to fly. You may have flew at one point in your life, and for whatever reason, you have forgotten. The joy of this day is that we raise with Christ. That we unfold those wings and we fly, friends. We fly as individuals with one another, with this faith community and with the world. It is time, should we be bold enough to allow ourselves to be raised with Christ. If you today are willing to open yourself to seeking Christ, opening up those wings, shining up your piece of that halo, I would invite you as a symbolic gesture to rise with Christ. Please stand.